pray these words in your name. Amen. You can be seated. If you're a student, you're dismissed. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. I greet you in the name of my Savior. I'm really glad that you're here with us today. Christopher, uh, Zach, Sean, uh, Justin, thank y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate you uh, leading us into the presence of the Lord. Bless y'all. Um, I want you to think with me just for a second. I think I, I tried to cover just about everybody in this room. Um, and then some. I want you to think about how... Um, excited you would be what uh, a privilege you would you would see uh, an opportunity if it was given to you if it were given to you to join somebody to be invited by somebody one of the greats of humanity, one of the one of the greats of history, if they invited you the things that to join them in the things that they did. I don't just mean be a spectator, although how great would that be? But I mean join you or join them. Uh, Inviting you to participate in the things that they were doing. Let me give you some examples. Michelangelo calls you up and says, Hey, I'm painting a ceiling and uh, I'd like your help. I'd like you to, I need somebody to help me. Hand me paintbrushes, <laughs> tote buckets up and down the, Scaffolding, uh, give me your opinion on color choices. Colin, would that be a, a blessing to you if Michelangelo invited you to participate with him in, that, in painting the Sistine Chapel ceiling? Um, Neil Armstrong, my wife has always longed, yeah, there she is, to go into outer space. Why? I will never, uh, it's against the Bible. Uh, Bible says, "Lo, I'm with you always," and uh, I don't believe in doing going up. But she, she's always. Can you imagine if Neil Armstrong called you up and said, "Sherry, I'm gonna take a little trip, and uh, I, I would love for you to keep me company and help me with some of the things that I've got to do on this trip to the moon." Can you? I want you to think about that as if it could actually have happened. Uh, Meryl Streep, those of you that are actresses. Um, imagine getting a phone call from Meryl Streep. Hey, I'm working on a little movie, and I need somebody to go over there, my lines with me. Would you be available? Can you imagine what would have to occur for you to turn one of these invitations down? Bobby? Bill Dance called, I don't even know if that dude's still alive or not, but let's just say he is. Um, I saw him the other day, fall, there were some clips, and he was falling out of boats repeatedly and cussing like a sailor. I was laughing mad all at him, but I don't know if, if he's still alive or not. But can you imagine if, if uh, Bill Dance called you up and said, hey, my fishing partner canceled on me. I need a buddy to go fishing with me. 
Jack Nichols, Jack, come with me. Jack Nicholson, Jack Nichols, Jack, Jack Nicholas. Lord, I want to say Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholas calls those of you that are golfers and says, Hey, I'd appreciate it if you come with me and play a round of golf. The Beatles or the Rolling Stones says, Hey, Zach, you want to come play with us? Do a set with us? What would you turn that? What would you? What would have to come up that you say? You know what, Ringo, I'm busy. I can't do that. Uh, or John, or whoever, whoever it is. Um, Steve Jobs calls you up. Says I'm working on something in my garage. It's going to be a big deal. Could you come and help me? Eisenhower. Calls you and says, I'm planning this little battle on the French coast in a few weeks. I really could use your advice and wisdom on how to strategize this properly. Thomas Jefferson. Hey, I'm working on a new idea related to government. How a nation could operate and function. It's ab. No one in the history of the world has ever thought of anything like this. Would you come and help me formulate a new form of government? Stephen Hawking. My wife would love to spend the afternoon strategizing with him. Um, can you imagine Bear Bryant? I don't know any other coaches, so I, I, limited, I had to limit myself to, to the only one I knew, uh, as far as I know, the only one that really matters. But anyway, um, can you imagine if Bear Bryant said, I got a big game coming up Sunday. I would love for you to sit down with me and talk through how we're going to play this game. Bobby Flay, I need a sous chef to help me Prepare a big meal that I've got coming up. Would you like to come? Would you come and help? I could use your help. Those of you that love to cook. Can you imagine Bobby Flay inviting you to come and help him prepare a meal? Warren Buffett. Ash, what if Warren Buffett called you up and said, Hey, I'd love to take you to lunch and uh, talk to you about some financial strategies. Uh, big picture stuff. I could use your wisdom, your insight. Would you come and help me? Can you imagine, those of you that are, are John, Warren Buffett inviting you to come and, and not only blessing you with the privilege of being in his presence, but he genuinely is wanting your participation in what he's doing. Andrew Lloyd Webber. I could go on and on and on. I don't know what your, your deal is, but I bet there's somebody like that. That if they called and invited you to not just come and be with them as a spectator, but they wanted not only your presence, but your involvement. I need you. I could use your help. I would I, I value your participation. Can you imagine what it would mean 
mean to you or to me? I'm trying to think of something that would be more significant, more life-changing, more honoring, more uh, value-communicating, more thrilling, more memorable, more satisfying than some of these people that changed history. Literally changed the direction of... And I, I, I would say that most of those people uh, would be in that category in some way or another. Can you imagine if one of them invited you to come and to participate with them in the big projects that they were involved in? In the sort of... As, that, as a background for that, I... Wednesday nights, we've been, we're going through some of the, the key books in the Old Testament, the books that if you could only read five or six Old Testament books, what would they be? And uh, we just finished the first one last Wednesday night is the book of Job, which probably was the first book of the Bible written. At least a lot of smart theologians would say that. We don't know, but it's reasonable that it was the first book of the Bible written, which you think about that. Very first book of the Bible. Very first message that God wanted people to hear from Him. The book of Job. You think about that. You'd have thought it would have been Proverbs. But it's the book of Job. Um, very interesting study. Very interesting discussion. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, how our discussions went. Um, book opens, as most of you would know, with um, it's the, the writer very intentionally wanted us to view heaven as a courtroom, as a throne room slash courtroom. And uh, uh, you've got the, the, the throne room of God. And if Isaiah can be taken in a trustworthy and literal manner. Job doesn't get to it. The book of Job doesn't say this exactly. But if you take that and add uh, Isaiah to it. You've got God on his throne. And then for as far as you can see in any direction. You have millions upon millions upon millions. Of what the Bible would call the heavenly host. Well, what are they? Well, seraphim and you know all these unusual creatures and and beings and 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 persons uh, and spirits. We don't really know what, but there's millions of them. As far as you can see in any direction, you've got this 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 throne filled with beings, millions of them surrounding the throne room of God. And lo and behold, Satan. Himself enters the throne room. You might think, well, how does that work? Great theological question. And literally many a theologian has hung himself trying to, how, how does Satan get into the throne room of God? How does that work? That, and I don't know. They don't know either. I hadn't read anybody that had a good answer on that. How can the epitome, the personification of evil, enter into the presence of God? 
But he does. And he enters the presence of God. And God starts the conversation by saying, uh, he asked him where he's been and what he's been doing, trying to be polite. But at some point, very quickly, God says, uh, have you considered a man that's a friend of mine, a servant of mine, a child of mine, his name's Job. Have you you've been roaming the earth, you know, probably trying to find fault and criticism. And uh, uh, have, you, have you met my Job, my friend, my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, I know him well. And God says, I'm so proud of him. I love him. He just, he, he sees things the way I want. He does things the way I want. He lives the way I want. He treats people the way I want. He just, he's, he's wonderful. I'm so proud of him. And Satan very quickly goes, huh, I disagree with you. The only reason that Job does what you want is because you bless him. The only reason, he just wants a check. And he does what you want, not because he loves you, not because he trusts you, not because he's thankful for you. He doesn't care about you at all. All he cares about is the paycheck. And I can imagine, I mentioned Bobby Flay earlier. My wife makes me watch Beat Bobby Flay almost every night. And um, I don't know if you ever watched Beat Bobby Flay. But every show, at some point, one of the other up-and-coming wannabe, everybody wants to be Bobby Flay. Okay, and so they all come into the, his kitchen, and at some point they're going to say something like, "Bobby Flay, you're nothing. I'm better than you. You're not. You're not near as great a chef as you think you are." That's exactly what I, I could just. And when when they when those chefs do that, the audience is up on sort of a balcony kind of a deal, and it, you can hear you're looking at Bobby Flay, but you can hear in the background the whole audience going. <gasps> Like, oh my gosh, this guy had the audacity to criticize Bobby Flay and to challenge him. And if those of you that have seen it, you know I'm telling you the truth. I can picture in my mind when Satan said to God, Job doesn't love you. He doesn't trust you. He's not serving you and following you because he loves you. No, no, no. He's just doing that for a paycheck. What, he, what Satan is saying is, you are not worthy. You are not deserving. He's just doing that to get paid, to get blessed. And if you cut off the blessings, he'd shut you down like a bank on Sunday. He'd walk away from you, deny you, curse you, turn on you. You turn off the blessings and he will turn off the love. And what Satan was saying was, God, you are unworthy. Your name isn't near as great as you think it is. Your glory is not near as wonderful as you think it is. You don't deserve. People serve you because they're afraid of you. And they're afraid of losing what you give them. You're not as great as you think you are, and you are undeserving of people's love, loyalty, 
and devotion. So just filling that throne room is the question. And there are millions and millions of hosts of spiritual beings who are all asking the same question. Is God and His name really that valuable? That glorious? That worthy? That beautiful? That matchless? Is God that wonderful or is He not? And I think it's a very, very significant question. I think it's a question that everybody in this room ought to consider and ought to try to answer. How would I respond if God cut off every blessing in my life? Would I trust an invisible, silent, sovereign God when there is no visible, logical reason to do so? If you don't get that idea, if you don't get that picture, if you don't envision that throne room with that tension, you miss the book of Job. You miss the whole dead gum thing. It's very important that we see that, that, that uh, there, there's a question that's been asked. There's a challenge that's been given by Satan. God, are you really worthy of the love and the devotion and the service and the worship of mankind apart from paying them off apart from blessing them are you still worthy those of you that are students of God's word with me you try on a semi-regular basis to read it and study it, you know that one of the big ideas that runs through the Bible is this idea that God is very name is a big deal of His name. God's name is a big deal to God. God's name, not just name, but what the word name in biblical language meant it meant your it meant who you are it meant your reputation your character your name represented your essence and god cares very much how people think about his name hence one of the first of the 10 commandments don't take the lord's name in vain don't, and that doesn't mean we make that uh, 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 cussing. Don't cuss. And I'm not, cussing's not a good deal, and, and, and you ought not do it, especially uh, any women on the back row. They definitely ought not cuss. Uh, yeah, my mom, she's really a cusser. Um, and and I'm not, we shouldn't cuss. I'm not saying that. But that's not really what the ten, that commandment is saying. The, that commandment is saying, don't. Use God's name in your conversations in ways that lowers or devalues or dishonors who God is. Don't use God's name 
in ways that would make other people think wrongly of God. That's what, that's what it's saying. And you might think, well, man, that's okay, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. I find it very funny or important. The disciples asked the Lord Jesus one of the most important questions they asked during his whole time on the earth. Jesus, teach us to pray. Dude, I mean, teach us how to have connection with God the Father. That's what they ask. More important question than that? The first thing Jesus says is, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, I want your name to be held in honor, in holiness. I, I'm, and it's not, it's not God, I'm, Jesus said, very first concern that we should have on our minds is the reputation of God. Not my mother's sick, my, my child's on dope, I've lost my job, my, mar- my marriage is falling apart, although those things are important and we should pray about them. I just find it, he doesn't say, um, uh, 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 meet your needs, heal you, give you wisdom. The very first thing that the Lord Jesus teaches his disciples is care about God's reputation. Care about God's name. It was a big, it was a big deal to Jesus how people viewed and saw and thought of his dad. And I believe Jesus got it naturally. He got it honestly from his dad. Because he grew up in the eternal home with his father. Seeing his dad and hearing his dad care about his own dad's name and reputation. It was a big deal to his dad. It was a big deal to the Lord Jesus. Um, Job is oblivious to what is going on in heaven. He has no idea. He doesn't know that Satan has come into the throne room of God. He doesn't know that Satan has said, God, the only reason Job loves you and trusts you and follows you and serves you is because you both. He knows nothing about this. He, knows no, he doesn't know that there has been, a, if you will, a cosmic wager. That's, because basically what God says to Satan is, when Satan challenges God and says, people don't love you for who you are. People don't serve you and follow you and trust you because of who you are in your essence. Who you, you, no, no, no. They just do it to get something from you. That's the only reason they do it. And basically, God's response is, okay, let's see. That's God. God doesn't get into an argument with, with Satan. He just basically says, okay, let's just see. Job knows nothing of that. All Job knows is one minute he is walking through life touching chairs and they turn to gold. He's got kids. He's got wife. Well, a wife. Um, he's got a, a successful business. He's got help. He is walking in the abundance of God's blessings and he is truly thankful. And he is using that abundance the way in ways that he believes God wants him to. 
And the next minute, he has lost everything. Some of you can identify with that. Some of you have, have been in places where you are on the top of the world. You're on the top of the, the wave uh, uh, surfing. And I mean, you got nothing but blue sky above and clear blue water below. And you are enjoying the ride. In the next minute, <laughs> the wave has crashed on top of you. And you are scrambling around uh, under the water trying not to drown. And to make matters worse, that intimacy, that, that closeness that Job had enjoyed his entire life, it's gone. As far as Job feels, he feels like God has forgotten him. He feels like God has abandoned him. All he feels is silence and distance. Job is absolutely oblivious to what I believe is the whole point. Or at least, wait, I didn't write. Job is oblivious to what I believe is one of the major points that we learn about in the book of Job. And that is that there are things going on in heaven. In, in levels of, of the universe that we know nothing about. We, don't, we aren't given any information on. We don't, we're, not given, we're not privy to. But there are things going on in the universe that God is very involved in. That God is very focused on. That God is... And there are things that literally will shape the destiny and the future of the world and the universe. And God is right in the middle of them. And lo and behold, God says, hey, I want Job to help me. I want Job to This is God Almighty who woke up one morning before breakfast and created the universe. And he said, it seems to me that it's a big deal to God that he invites people at certain moments in their existence, certain points in their journey, he invites them to participate in what he's doing. And he, this is what I want you to hear today. Please don't miss it. Job loved God. Job was thankful to God. Job was living for God. But do you know what Job was doing? He was thankful and he was enjoying the blessings of God. But folks, that wasn't enough for God. God wanted Job to be a part of something significant. Something that mattered. Something that was eternal. Something that was cosmic. God didn't want Job to just enjoy the ride. Thank you, Jesus, for your blessings. How lovely is that? 
But that wasn't enough for God. And let me go on and cut to the end of the story. I'm not through, but let me cut to the end of the story. It's not enough for God in your life either. Or my life. But Larry, I am thankful. I am blessed. I do give glory to God. I do try to use God's blessings the way I think He wants me to. Good for you. That's very wonderful and important. When's the last time you felt like God included you in something that was on a level of cosmic significance? When's the last time you were involved in something that you believed it mattered on a scale and a level that is beyond you and yours? You and yours is very important. But I think God is saying to Job, and I think God is saying to us, Oh, I want your eyes. Not just on you and yours. I've got you and yours. Don't worry about that. But I want you to not just enjoy the ride. I want to invite you to participate in things that you cannot imagine. Things that will last forever. I find it. Forgive me, Lord. I find it crazy that God would invite Job to participate in what was going on in heaven. I find it, I find it, there's something about it that is so endearing and so loving, but it's also crazy that God would risk Depending upon one person in what he was doing as it related to the defense of his reputation and his name. It's unbelievable that God would risk his reputation, his name, his glory on the choices and the responses of one person. It seems way too risky, way too important for that to all rest on one person's involvement. But how do you read this book? How do you read this story and not at least consider that to God it was a really big deal that Job get involved, that Job be included in something that was going on that was huge. That billions and billions and billions of heavenly beings were all sitting there going, Oh my gosh, how's this going to end? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Oh my gosh, what if God's name is, is somehow Lord and devalued? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And God says, well, I, don't know. I, I can tell you this, I want, I've got a friend. And I want him involved in how this turns Job asks a very important question in Job chapter 10, verse 3. He says, God, does it please you to oppress me and spurn me? I think it was an honest question. It wasn't a rhetorical question. God, do you somehow get your jollies? Do you somehow find some kind of sick pleasure? 
in making my life miserable. And I think if you read the rest of the book, especially the last five chapters, what you discover is God's answer is absolutely not. I don't find pleasure in making you sad and hurting you and taking you through times of great loss and suffering and difficulty. It does not please me. But what does please me is including you in things that are eternal, Things that matter, things that last, things that are on levels of that that are are global. They're kingdom issues. They're they're universal issues. They're things that matter, things that last. And if I have to take you through loss and suffering to include you in things of that cosmic scale, then so be it. The Bible says that God has called us to live lives that are glorious. Lives that are full of the glory of God. And when I use the word glory, I'm using it in a, in a biblical sense. Some of you heard me say this before. There are a few times in the Bible where the Bible talks about the glory of God. And it's talking about glory in a sense of of, of um, like lights, like uh, shining the glory of the sun, and you we see the light. But that's very that's the exception to the rule. Most of the time, when the Bible talks about glory, it's it's using it in the in the uh, in a in a way that refers to weight, to substance, to things that. What, what are some of the words I used? Um, um, weight, significance. Things that have lasting impact. Listen to what 2 Peter chapter 1 says. Uh, 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 Justin, you, you on this one? 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter says, God's power has given us all we need to experience life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who has called us to lives of glory and virtue. God has called us to lives of glory and virtue. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Paul says, He, God, called you through our gospel so that you might share in the glory of Jesus or the Lord Jesus. God has placed a calling, Terry, on your life and on Anna on your life and Alan on your life. On all of our lives, God has placed a calling to live a life that literally, honestly, is glorious. And that calling, guys, never changes. God doesn't change His calling upon your life and my life. God wants our lives to be lived in such a way that we are living lives that are glorious. And the thing that I think is important for us to remember about Job. Job felt abandoned. Job felt forgotten. Job felt God's distance. God, uh, Job felt God's silence. But I want to appeal to you. Read the book. 
And the message of Job is simple. God hadn't abandoned Job. God hadn't distanced himself from Job. God had not forgotten Job. Job was in the middle of God's focus. He was actually the star of the show. God was saying, Job, I can't tell you my plans because if I did, that would totally mess up this wager that I've got with Satan. So you've got to trust me. But buddy, there is nobody on the planet that is more in the center of my focus and my attention than you. You were right in the middle of my most significant activities. God was inviting Job. I'm doing something. It's something great. And it's something that matters. And it's something that will last. Come join me. Come join me. I'd love for you to be involved in what I'm doing. I don't mean just as a little heifer. I mean as a significant player. A, 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 a main player. Come join. Gosh. Who does that remind us of? Um, oh yeah. God's son. What did he do for three years? Everywhere he went. Hey. Come follow me. Come join me. I'm up to some incredible stuff. Some stuff that for eternity will matter. That will change the lives of people forever. Peter, come help me. Come join me. John, man, I'd love you to be right. Not just to carry the bags and get, a, get me a cold drink or a cup of coffee when I want it. No, no, no. I want you right smack dab in the middle of what I'm doing. When I was a kid, I heard Dr. Graham one time make a statement. He said, there's a God-sized hole in the heart of every person that only God can fill. I believe that. But I want to add to that. There's also a God-sized longing To be a part of things that matter, that last, that have significance, that are important, that, that, that are eternal. There is, it's, it's the way God created us to, want to, to not just be consumed with things that are small and petty and temporary, that are easy Everybody wants to have fun, and I'm at the front of the line. But I'm telling you that inside, if you are a, 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 an image bearer of God, and you are, whether you know it or not, you are, God created you with a longing in your heart and in your life to be a part of things that are God-sized. And God is inviting you to be involved in those things. God was working in Job's life to give him opportunities to have a life of impact, significance. Yes, it involved pain and loss, but it resulted in a life of such impact and significance that 4,000 years later, people are still talking about Job. 
4,000 years later, people are still opening the book of Job with lives filled with confusion and darkness and pain and doubt. And they find comfort there. They find hope there. They find peace there. They don't necessarily find answers. But what they find is the reminder and the reassurance that in the midst of the most desperate and difficult and dark of times, God is there with you. Maybe He's doing things you don't like or understand, but He's there. And at the end of the day, God's going to take care of you and bring you out on the other side. It's exactly the same story of all the other people that God invited to be a part of significant things. And they said, yes, Noah. Noah, I'm doing something big. You want to join me? Yes. Abraham, I'm doing something big. You want to join me? Yes. David, I'm doing something big. Do you want to join me? Yes. Mary and Joseph, I'm doing something big. Do you want to join me? Yes. Did they know? Did they have all the details? Did it involve incredible loss and suffering and darkness in every one of their lives? Every one of them to a person. They went through incredible difficulty. But in God's economy, the opportunity to join God in things that are cosmic is worth the bill you got to pay that includes suffering and difficulty. One of Job's buddies, and I use that phrase loosely, was in that dude named Elihu. And Elihu, you don't have to, you can put it up on the board if you want to, Justin, but you don't have to. Basically, what Elihu asks or, or says to Job is this. He says, Job, it is ridiculous for you to think that God cares about an individual person. God's got bigger fish to fry. God's doing things on a much bigger scale. You, one person's life doesn't matter. And if Job, if the book of Job says anything, it says one person. Hence the name. The name of the book isn't God. The name of the book isn't bet or wager. The name of the book, the name of the book is Job. Your life matters and God is continually inviting us to participate in things that are reflective of the glory and the wonder and the splendor and the worth of God himself and he's not just wanting to give us candy and, uh, and pat us on the head and Tell us to go sit on the couch and watch videos while he does the important stuff. He's saying, hey, I'm doing something big. I want you to help me. And folks, he's not just done that with 
Noah or Job or Abraham or David or Esther or Ruth or Rahab or Mary or Joseph. I believe with all of my heart God is doing that with me and with you. He's continually inviting us to participate in things that matter. The question is, am I open? Do I even know that's going on? That's my, I want you to go home and just be aware. Oh my gosh! You mean this week God could be inviting me to be a part of things that are cosmic? Maybe CNN and Fox News won't report it, but who gives a blind flip about that? It'll be reported by... Can you imagine at the end of the story in Job 42, those millions and millions and millions of heavenly hosts were all going, oh my gosh. What happened? Did you see what happened? Oh, it was reported. It was reported. And I believe when you and I embrace the calling of God to involve ourselves in things that are glorious, that matter, giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, helping people get an education that wouldn't get an education, helping people... In millions of ways that many of you are so faithful to be involved in. I just want us to be aware today. That God is up to incredible things that we know nothing about. But because He loves us and delights in us. He is inviting us to participate. And there are things that will matter Forever. Forever. The question is, am I so focused on my small, temporary life that I don't have the attention, the energy, or the time to really even consider that? Whatever that would mean, whatever that would look like, I don't know. But I'm telling you, it's going on. And I'm telling you that God wants us to consider it and to open our lives up to it. Okay. We're going to end. Lord, I don't... Okay. Um, Y'all want to come help me? Y'all been on a cruise all week. Y'all need to do something. No telling what kind of shenanigans y'all been up to. Okay. I had a number of you um, mention to me last week or this, this past week. You made comments about the little statement I made uh, during the Lord's Supper last week about what's the message, what's the real message of the Lord's Supper. And I said it's the story of God's wisdom Providing a way for God's love to rescue us from God's wrath without compromising God's justice. I love that. It's not original with me. It's uh, only Dr. Piper could come up with something like that. Uh, God's wisdom 
providing a way for God's love to rescue us from God's wrath without compromising God's justice. That's why we eat this bread and drink this wine. Just our way of declaring, I believe that. I believe that God in His sovereignty provided a way for me to be forgiven of my sins and experience the adoption into God's family. Jesus took my punishment and He gave me God's grace and love and blessing. And I just want everybody to know I'm in on that. I believe that. I've received that. That's the the testimony of my life. And if it is, that's what you believe, if that's the testimony of your life. Well, I hadn't lived a good, this has been a rough week. I don't think I'd get a good solid even C- minus on how I lived this week. Nobody asked you that. I'm not a member of this church. Nobody asked you that. Is that the testimony of your life? The Lord Jesus Christ died for me. And I put my faith in what he did on the cross so that I could become a child of God. If that's a testimony of your life, if that's what you put your faith in, then you're more than welcome. You're invited to come and eat and drink and remember and give thanks.